Are you ready to get real? Welcome to Real Estate, the world's loneliest career, where you're always out of balance, unfulfilled, the role models are fake, the numbers unattainable, and you're just supposed to be and do it all. Join self-made millionaire real estate agents, wives, moms, and business owners as we level up, learn from special guests, and elevate and disrupt an entire industry through real education our way. Good morning, everybody. We're here with our new friend, Paul Melke, and he is from Birmingham, Alabama. He is the star of A&E's hit TV show, Flipping Down South. And I met Paul at a conference a little earlier this year in Phoenix, and he graciously agreed to come on our show, and we are so excited to have him. He's a very fun and dynamic guy. So Paul, tell us a little bit about your journey into real estate and how that all started for you. Yeah, so I'm a, what I would refer to as a serial entrepreneur, and I had um, kind of tried my hand at everything. And at one point, I found myself managing um, managing bars for a living. And uh, it was one of those, I was you know, 23, 24, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and I looked around one day, and I had become like the kind of the, the manager of the place and realized that there was uh, nowhere else for me to go. I was paying everybody out at the end of the night. And so um, I decided it was time to start looking for um, something else. And I did what everybody who doesn't know what they want to do does and went and got my real estate license. <laughs> and then I had a uh, pretty decent first year. I did property management. I think I sold 24 units my first year. And um, from there, just, you know, it kind of took off, kind of took, took off a life of its own and uh, ended up making the move to a bigger market after my first year because I um, looked around and just was like, hey, I wouldn't be happy here even if I was like the top agent. So got to a new market. That was the Birmingham market. Um, started over and just kind of built my career from there. Where were you before Birmingham? I was in Montgomery, Alabama. So people talk about seeing a correction in the market and how we're going to start seeing um, like houses sit on the market. And uh, when I got into the business, I think the average days on market in Montgomery was around 76, 80 days on the market. So like, it's just kind of just, things are just kind of going back to normal for me. Yeah. So that's interesting to me though, that you, you moved your whole life to a different city to be in a bigger market so that you have more opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, I figured that you better do it sooner than later. And, uh, with real estate, um, I did it, I did it all within two days too. So I was button heads with my broker anyways, because of this property management thing, it wasn't really what I thought it would be. I was managing, um, like 80 or 90 single family rentals. I was doing all the maintenance. I was doing all the showings. I was doing all the payroll. I was doing all that. And then I was selling real estate outside of that. So I had got into real estate to sell homes and then selling homes become my part-time job. And so we mm -hmm. butted heads, went home, packed my stud up, stuff up, and ended up finding a mentor in Birmingham and just moved up here the next day. And um, that was like December. It was in between uh, Christmas and the New Year, so it was a pretty good time to move and just decided to do it. That's wild. So how did you go from your real estate career to all of a sudden now you're a nationwide celebrity and have a TV show? Yeah. So when I got to Birmingham, like I said, like it was like a really sudden move and I didn't know, I didn't have a sphere to work. And so naturally, 
Um, the only people that would work with me were out-of-town investors who didn't know that I wasn't from Birmingham and didn't know my way around the city yet. And so I started to build my career in this investment space because uh, those were also the leads that nobody else, I was on a team, those were also the leads that nobody else on the team wanted. And uh, before you knew it, I was um, doing project management for out-of-town investors. And you only have to do manage a couple of picks before you look around. And you're like, hey, I found the deal. I managed the deal. I found the contractor and I sold the deal and I'm only taking how much? So the money's the only thing that was missing. So we went out and found that. And then um, I ended up splitting off of that team later on. And uh, there's a lot more to the story, but I'm giving you the 30,000 foot view. Um, I ended up splitting off and uh, starting, starting my own team. And I looked up and was like, hey, what would pour rocket fuel on um, all my business more than anything else where I could kind of find that cheat code to take me from you know, level one or two to level eight or nine real quick. And that was a TV show. So I got really purposeful around my uh, social media. And I started creating a, um, you know, essentially a, um, a resume on social media that a, that a TV producer might, might like to look into. And I uh, did a bunch of research on like the things they would want, the things they would ask. And so uh, finally, you know, a bunch of people reached out, but we had one person reach out from a company called Water Cooler Casting, and um, they, you know, I did all my research on them, and they seemed legit. And so we started going down the interview process, and I was just super prepared. Um, so like, I had bios on my whole team ready. Um, I had before and as of all the houses. So they're like, "Hey, can do you have these?" Yeah, shared the Google Drive. Boom, done. You know, things like that. So um, from there, it was a pretty wild. Experience. But yeah, that's that's kind of the the thirty foot view of how we got from not knowing anybody in Birmingham to have a cable TV show. How long is that period of time? Uh, about five years. So, yeah. Wow. Life goes, I mean, it's fast. My life moves really quickly. And um, we actually, I mean, we have another show coming out in the spring. So I'm really excited about that too. Uh, TV is a wild world. It's a lot of fun, um, but you have to be ready for it. And I don't know if we were really ready for it the first time. It's a, it's just a train. It just comes into your life and it doesn't matter what you got going on, it just wrecks it. So, um, it, but it's, it can be a positive too. So, wow. wow. So, five years, um, Gary Keller is famous for saying like people underestimate where they can be in five years if they really knuckle down and focus, right? Yeah. So, five yeah. years from having no sphere, knowing nobody in Newtown, you don't even know where you're driving around to a tv celebrity that's pretty crazy um, <laughs> yeah it was wild what would you say because like i feel like even though moving to a new city and not knowing anybody and going through a weird period in the market those are two totally different things but there's still periods of great uncertainty for people yeah. so like what would you say to people right now that are in panic because nar says that up to 50 percent of the agent population could mm -hmm hang up their license and go out of business by the next two to three years. So yeah. what would you say to everyone that's like in fear right now? Yeah. So for, yeah. For me, the first thing is like, Hey, um, this is the time where we find out who's been building a business and who's just been kind of catching whatever comes their way. So if you're intentional with your time, um, every day, your time blocking for your, your money making, uh, money producing activities, then I think you're going to be, you're going to be just fine. We're getting back to the world where you have to actually sell houses, not just throw a sign in the yard. So things we're doing right now, um, as you know, like we put a house live and my listing agents as somebody, the first time that house shows, they're calling the agent that's showing it on the way in and on the way out. 
And then I'm telling them, hey, if, um, if there's something that we can fix with that house by just driving over there, let's go do it right now. Because we might only get five showings, three showings, two showings in our first weekend. So all the details matter. Um, so really working that way, um, doubling down on our prospecting, and then just setting realistic expectations on the way in too. So those conversations that you have with sellers um, are really, really important right now. Um, I think that's something that um, a lot of people do a poor job of communicating with their sellers right now is that, hey, if you have the best house in the, in the market, it will sell and it will probably sell for close to what it was going to sell for beforehand. But we're going to have to do some work uh, on the way in to that, to that listing to make that happen. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that the, the shift is, um, I'm lucky to be in a mid-sized market where we're not going to feel it the way some of these other markets are like Boise, where you're seeing like a, like a 30% correction or something like that in the market, which is just absolutely brutal. Um, so we're seeing, you know, maybe a 5% correction here. Um, and things are just kind of slowing down a little bit. I, I'd describe it as like what things felt like in 2016, 2017, um, which was, you know, it's a good market. It's not a great market, um, but there's still opportunities on the buy and the sell side for people who are willing to go out and get it. And then just at the end of the day, just put in the work. Um, if, if you, I'm a big office person, which isn't really popular these days, but uh, one of the things I always tell new agents is like, hey, good things happen to people who come to the office every day. Um, and that's advice that I still give new agents because if you're just around people and you just, You'll catch first. You'll catch the things that people don't have time for. Um, I sold twenty three or twenty four houses my first year, and I'd say seven or eight of them were just from being present in the office. Um, so I'm a big believer in that. Um, but also, like just understanding how people talk to people in the real estate business and hearing it on a daily basis will like push your career forward a bunch. So if you're a new agent getting into the market right now, that's what I would suggest. Uh, my personal advice is, hey. Catch all the podcasts you can. All that stuff's great. But go ahead and tuck yourself in with some experienced agents. Like my, um, when I was getting my license, I was bartending at night, managing the bars, and I was driving around with real estate agents every single day. So the first week that I had my license, I put two houses under contract because I had already been through the contract writing process several times. I had shown at least 100 houses with other agents, just tagged along. And um, I think that's something that people just miss. Like they get their license and then they start. And I'm like, hey, hey, you start, the second you start thinking about getting into real estate, you start building your business and you start building that base. And that means that you got to be willing to work for free a lot in the beginning and add value wherever you can. So um, for people who are so willing to work, I think there's a lot of opportunity still out there, maybe even more so. I believe that too. Yeah. I think that a lot of agents, when they first start, they assume that someone is going to hand them the keys to the village, Right. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden, all of this business is going to fall from the sky and you're going to be a millionaire. That is yeah. not how life works. <laughs> um, if you had any clue as to how much work is put into it, we might make it look easy. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to get a little bit how it's worked the last couple of years. I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the last couple of years have been built by the previous five years. You know what I mean? Like, that's true. I feel like it doesn't just happen. You have to put that work in and listen mm -hmm. to you say, like, if you're going to be in the, like be in the office, be present, be with someone that's doing business. So you can feed off of that energy and learn from them. They're doing something you're not doing. Trust me, they are. And the more you get comfortable with the way that they're talking and communicating, the easier it's going to be for you. 
Exactly. And it shows people you're serious, the fact that you're yeah. showing up every day. Um, but also just showing up isn't enough. So like you got to show up and, and work. Yeah. I think there's a huge distinction um, that every top producer, like, and I, we hate that like verbiage around here, but it, it is what it is. Everybody that's been around the block a long time and does a lot of business in real estate um, knows, right? Which is like, you do have to work. We've said tons and times on this show, um, you know, people ask, well, what makes a top producer different from someone who sells one or two houses a year? We work. Like mm -hmm. there's, I don't know what difference there is besides that, you know, like yeah. if we have a slow period, we're at our desk drilling leads, doing things, you know, we're out there looking at houses and, and you can't just show up and like fake in the career. It just, it doesn't work that way, but it happens all the time. And I see it all the time in newer agents, you know, like I'll be like, well, what did you do today? And they'll be like, well, you know, I Googled some articles about real estate for five hours. And I'll be like, well, how many houses have you looked at in real life? And they're like, mm, none, you know? And then like, I took a group of, I, I know I took a group of kids out to look at um, model homes a couple of weeks ago. They literally didn't know like what was the roof and where the kitchen. They were like, "What kind of countertop is this?" Uh -huh. And I was like, "What? Like, have you guys never been in a home before?" And they all said, "Yes," which is terrifying. So that you know, you, ha you have to work. Um, mm -hmm. so I hear. I hope people hear again the parallel between like you're slowing down in your business right now. When Paul was first starting, you can choose to do all those things right now because when you're not busy what do you have a lot of time right mm -hmm. so if you expect that you're going to be in business staying in business or super successful over the next few years then spend your time working in the business yeah and i, I think say, um you know he also mentioned you know he's a serial entrepreneur and i can say that when my real estate business is quote unquote slow my renovation company and my staging and design company are going gangbusters um, so all of those things might supplement your real estate career. You know, it's not just one or the other. You can do them all. They all work together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and if you don't, you're really missing the boat because yeah. they all feed each other. Exactly. Like during this November to December, that's my favorite time to buy houses. Yeah. The market's down. It's slower. You know, people are looking at getting paid before Christmas because they mm -hmm. need the money. And so, vacation. Mm -hmm. exactly. And if we put that on a 90 to 120 day timeline for a renovation for me, we're looking at going active in the spring, but that's mm -hmm. the time that everybody likes to take off. And that's the time that yeah. I really like to buckle down. And it's really frustrating to get things closed in that time period too, because the title companies and the mortgage yeah. companies and all that stuff is also slowing down and taking time mm -hmm. off. I when does real estate stop for the year? Technically, like for most agents, mm -hmm. like, you don't see them after December 15th. It's like mm -hmm. they're a ghost. They're gone. You might see them starting around like middle of July, January again. Yeah. Like you're just not going to see them between middle of December and middle of January. Like, I don't know where they go if everyone's on vacation, but that's when like, that's when the deals are. Like, yep. I'll show I a house on December 24th on December 26th. I don't care. Yep. Like, I mean, I would work on Christmas if I had to. My family. I is have. We get I, it. I have. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, it's, I love the fourth quarter. Um, I've always had a super busy fourth quarter because yeah. it, it's, there's less like compression in the market because mm -hmm. you can go out there and get great deals for your clients. People are asleep at the wheel in their real estate business. They're not working. Right. Um, but Paul said something else that's really important too, which is 
real estate happens in 90 day increments, right? Mm -hmm. So like the work that you do today in October is really paying off end of the year, beginning of next year. So if you aren't doing the work now, then how are you expecting to start 2023 off correctly? Again, you're just going to be sitting around waiting for deals to fall in your lap, right? Yep. Playing catch up, trying to figure out why you're not busy and everybody else is. And that's a, um, that's a trap that a lot of people fall into. Yeah. Time and time again, every year. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us how you went from being an agent to being a full-blown investor and flipper. Yeah. So like I, like I was saying earlier, I'll kind of expand on that. The, um, I started, so I got into property management which was a blessing and a curse. So it didn't allow me to really sell full-time. I feel like if I would have been selling full-time, I probably could have done more than that um, 23 or 24 units I did my first year. Um, But I learned so much about houses so quickly. And I learned how numbers worked on these houses. I knew what a good buy was, what what a good rental looked like. I knew what a rental rehab looked like. I knew how to talk about uh, investment real estate because I was talking to all these homeowners. And so when I moved to Birmingham, Naturally, like we said, I got into uh, the investment world because those were the only people that would work with me. And those were the leads that were available because I was the new guy. And, um, you know, like I would drive around Birmingham and I would look for uh, ran down houses. So while a lot of people were out prospecting their sphere, I was prospecting the physical home. And then I would go find the home, find the homeowner and say, hey, would you be open to selling this house? Almost always they would say yes because it was abandoned. And this was you know, five, five years ago when like you could really do that five and a half years ago before everybody was a wholesaler and everybody was interested in investing and all of that stuff. And, uh, I'd ask them if they were interested in selling almost always, they'd say, yes, I'd find a contractor. I'd get the bid to make the property rent ready. And then I would take those numbers and a bid from a property manager on what the property would rent for. And I would go shop it to that pool of investors that was sitting in, um, sitting in my database from working these investor leads. And I would just connect them that way. And uh, it doesn't take long. You only have to do you know, a few of those projects where you watch your investor make, um, either on a flip or a rental with a refi, make um, 40, 50, 60 grand, and you're getting your little five grand check at the end. And you're like, well, hold, hold up. It feels, it really feels like, like I should be getting more than that. And um, yeah. exactly. So I uh, started working on that. Uh, so I tried to uh, build the flipping business out. Uh, we probably scaled. The TV show was great. You know, it forced us to scale rapidly. Um, and now we're trying to really, um, every day we, we, we kind of ratchet in and get a little tighter on our processes. Um, and we're getting into the hold world too. So like we're refinancing out our first package right now. It's going to be 17 homes. Um, so we'll have added 17 doors this year to our portfolio. And then we would have flipped this year, probably 18 or 19. We're working on all of our books right now. So we'll get it all caught up. Uh, but the goal for next year, um, now that we've kind of figured out this game, this investment game, um, is to hold, you know, 50 doors and flip 24 homes. And, um, I think the biggest thing that we've learned is that it's all about like the construction's great. And that's the part that you really have to get under control and you have to buy the deal. Right. But banking is just a big shell game and all the bankers know about it and they don't care that you're playing the shell game and you're moving stuff around. And, uh, I think we figured out how to use that to hold rentals now. And so now we're going to get into the wealth building part of our career, um, which is really exciting stuff. Have you ever had a deal go really south 
or something yeah. blow up really in your face or sure. leave a shitload of money or we need to watch the TV show, obviously. But um, the reason I'm asking this is <clears throat> I want people to hear like how brave you are and that you just keep going. Oh, yeah. OK, so I got um, I got a couple stories for you on that. I got mm -hmm. let me give you an agent story oh, about the worst oh. deal I ever did as an agent. Okay. Um, my little brother, I sold him a condo and we were having all sorts of problems with the condo association, right? Um, and we got to closing with the U-Haul packed to move in to, to the condo. And at the closing, we get a call from the lender who calls, he calls the closing attorney first and they stop the closing because it's a mail away for the seller. And he says, hey, they had lied on the first condo questionnaire they're involved in deep litigation and we're not going to be able to finance this property. And so we had to stop signing the papers and that deal fell apart. My little brother ended up moving in with me for three months, but of course it would be your family where that happens. Always, um, always. I, that's the, that's one of two stories I have where we were at closing with U-Haul and the deal fell apart. Um, the other one was a buddy of mine. I sold him a house and um, they just refused to move out because they couldn't find anywhere to go. Um, and it was the agent was selling her sister's house and she didn't disclose that they were related and that ended up being a big deal too. But, um, no, when we first got started scaling the flipping business, we hit some really huge, um, obstacles. Like people don't know this, but like, um, we lost, so I've only lost money on like two or three homes ever. And we've done about a hundred. Um, and a lot of that is they say you pay for education and I don't have a building background or anything like that. So I just kind of, I kind of learn by doing, and this yeah. is an expensive thing to learn by doing. Yeah. And so we hired my business partner's roommate to flip a house cause he was a, he was a builder and we probably, we probably took a bath on about 140 grand, um, on that house, which was a pretty brutal learning experience. Uh, we bought a big house, high price point and all that stuff. Next thing you know, we're 130 grand in the hole, had to sell my car uh, to put appliances in the next house we were doing. So I walked for almost a full year, walked, Uber, biked, wherever we were going. So you know how hard it is to sell houses when you're when you don't have a car and you have to make it feel normal. I walked seven miles to a showing one time to sell a $650,000 house, got there 20 minutes early because I knew it was vacant, laid down on the cold tile bathroom floor to stop sweating, put my clothes back on, opened the door like nothing was wrong and sold it. And it, that's probably the point where things started to turn around because um, that was, a, that was a, a big commission to get things back on track. Um, but I think the biggest thing that if you're willing to just continue to play the game, that's all that really matters. Um, there's a good book called Infinite Game by Simon Sinek um, where essentially he talks about biz, the, the point of business is to continue to play the game. And as long as you can continue to play the game, you can continue to learn and make adjustments. And if you play the game long enough, you'll get really good at it. And that's kind of been my, my strategy for all of life is just knowing that I'm willing to play the game longer than other people are and that I don't have to find success in it right away. I just have to be willing to wake up tomorrow and go do the things that I need to do to build on yesterday. And when you put enough of those things together, um, then you can start to build like a really, um, really cool business. And I think that you know, in the flipping world, we've been doing it at scale for about two and a half years now. And um, this is the first year that I really feel like, I mean, we're going into the year and I'm like feeling spectacular about what we're doing. Like we have really good people, really good systems, access to a lot of capital. And it's, um, 
it's just a testament to the fact that we just kept playing no matter what happened. We just kept going and we kept going and we kept going. And um, yeah, I mean, like the thing about that is too, like when you come in and you do something new, especially when you're trying to do a big, people hate it because they hate things they don't understand. And people try to run you out of, of, of different parts of the business and they talk about you and they say things, but none of that matters if you just wake up tomorrow and you keep going, you keep playing the game and you focus on, uh, focus on, you know, what's inside the walls of your business instead of what's on the outside. Cause a good business doesn't need anything on the outside to go right for it to continue to be a good business, which is a perfect kind of way to look at things when we're talking about a market shift. You know, people ask me all the time, like, Hey, are you, what are you going to do now that the market's correct? And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to go flip houses and I'm going to try to improve my product. And I'm going to keep trying to make sure that I have the best product that goes to market. And I'm going to keep ratcheting down and I'm going to keep cutting budgets, uh, but still, you know, expanding the, the, the quality of the product that goes out. And that's what I'm going to do. Cause this is what I do. I am a house flipper. I am an investor. I'm a real estate agent and the market has nothing to do with what I am. And um, so that's kind of the, the mentality on, on, on from, from Monroe Park and what we do here um, is that like what happens outside these walls doesn't really matter because we're focused on building something special inside of them. I literally just feel like I just took like 20 quotes that I could put on my wall from what you <laughs> Well, yeah. you know, my, my, my life has been a pretty tough journey and it's just been a lot of lessons. I feel like it's all been an internship until maybe a month or two ago. Um, and when you take that attitude, I think that, um, you get to let go of a lot and, uh, you get to, you can, um, you can push through a lot more when everything is viewed as a learning experience. So, yeah, I mean, what you're talking about is just sheer refusal to quit, which is something I think Angela and I both have too, mm -hmm. uh, in different ways, but I mean, I've never walked seven miles to a showing before. Do you know how many agents I've seen? in my market or nationally that I know cry because they had to trade in their BMW for a Toyota. <laughs> yeah. I get you know, I've literally seen it, you know, yeah. like it's insane. They had to size down from their $4 million house into like a $1 million house. Yeah. I mean, they're all doing it right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're doing it right now. I was having a conversation with a friend over the weekend, the amount of people that I've seen bawling out over the last couple of years, it's a little crazy, but I've never walked seven miles to a showing. I mean, that's insane. Do you know what drives you or is it just something inside of you? Yeah. Um, when I get to the end of this thing, I have a huge sense of adventure. I crave adventure more than probably I crave anything else. And I don't really need, there's nothing, I've made a lot of peace in the last few years and I don't really need anything, um, which is um, I'm learning once you get married, you need to need some things. Um, so I'm not as as needless as I used to be because um, I'm responsible for other people now. Um, but the big thing that drives me is that when I get to the end of, of this thing, whatever you believe this is, and I take that last breath, I'm going to know that there was no ounce of, of, of potential left here. Potential is like my least favorite word in the entire English language. Um, because potential is just not real. There is no such thing as potential. We either do or we don't. And uh, I'm a doer, and I'm gonna keep doing until until this thing until they shut the lights off on me. And uh, every day I wake up, and I'm just like, man, I kind of like kind of in disbelief. I'm like, another one? I'm like, are you sure? Like, I get to do this, and then I just go do it all day. And um, 
try to build something to do tomorrow if I'm lucky enough to see it. So that, that sense of adventure is, is, a, is a big driver for me. Um, and also just not wanting to, to wonder about what would have happened if I used all the opportunity that I'd been given. Um, so I think that all this is a gift and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat it with that, that kind of respect because, um, you know, like this gets taken away from people every day. And uh, I, I don't want to be one of those people that um, that just kind of just comes and goes. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I don't think anybody really gets remembered. Um, but I know that that you know, like, if I do the things I'm supposed to do, that I can have a huge effect on the people around me, and then they can have a huge effect on the people around them. And that comes with setting the tempo every day and just going to work and and, and trying to show everybody what that looks like. Yeah. Very, very inspiring. Absolutely. Yeah, unbelievably inspiring. Um, so you got married. You're newly married. I did create yeah. Instagram enough to know that. <laughs> yeah, I'm newly married. Absolutely beautiful. Um, but so what is that like? And you're you're newly married, so um, I don't know if you have a handle on this yet, but, <laughs> but what is it like to balance having such a big personality and wanting so much and needing to push so hard on things with having someone stable in your life. It's a yeah. Weird. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard balance. And it's one that I'm learning um, a lot about very quickly. I live a pretty uncompromising life and uh, marriage is about compromise. Um, so I think the thing that I have to remember is that we decided to tie our souls together and that we are a team and, um, because we are a team, you know, like when I speak, I'm speaking for her. And when she speaks, she's speaking for me. And uh, people, we want to present in a way that people understand that. So if I'm not present, they understand that when my wife speaks, my wife is, is, has the same authority and the same um, influence that I do. Um, so so make, keeping her happy so she can operate kind of inside of her genius um, elevates the both of us. Um, and so that's something that I've really had to kind of try to settle in on because like I said, I've built my entire life in a way where I don't need anything, um, except for the opportunity to wake up tomorrow. And now I have to think about the needs of, of, of my wife and, and, and hopefully one day, um, we have more to our family, uh, where I have to think about their needs too. So I'm a little more calculated, uh, than I used to be. Um, I'll probably take more money from the company this year than I've ever taken, um, I've learned that you need to have a headboard, um, as a, as a grown man. Um, I've, I've learned, I've learned that it's a big deal if your stove is broken. Uh, I've learned that, um, having hot water is not a privilege. It is a necessity. I've learned a lot of those things recently, um, that, um, you know, before, before I met Susan, I never, never really thought about because, I was so hyper-focused on um, my goals and now it's our mm-hmm. goals. And uh, that's just a big, that's just a big change up. Um, but it's one that I wouldn't trade for anything. Susan is, um, she's the love of my life and she's probably the, I tell her all the time, she's my, she's my last adventure, you know, and that as far as um, that part of my life goes and I'm couldn't be happier about it. That's awesome. Yeah. It's beautiful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, she better be watching too. Like. I know, right? Otherwise, we'll have to send it to her because that was really beautiful. Thank you. Well, I gotta ask a real estate related question because otherwise, yeah. um, all the men that listen to this are um, 
probably going to be tuning off because they are definitely not all on that same page. I can assure <laughs> you, uh, yeah. you are a role model for all of them. Hopefully, well, thank you. I'm gonna um, tell her you said that too. <laughs> Minus the headboard. At least you know you need one. Um, <laughs> But so what is it about the homes that you renovate that are like iconic to you? Like when somebody yeah. walks into one of my houses, they're like, oh, Angela must have done this one because it has this thing. Like what are the yeah. things that are most milky? Yeah, yeah. Uh, bold colors. Um, I'm not scared to really go for it. Like I'm a full sin kind of guy. So like we'll use wallpaper, we'll use bright colors. We do a lot of accent stuff. And like we're not scared to just give something a chance either. Like I'll just give it a try and see what see what happens, and that's probably a reason why I don't work super well with partners uh, yeah. anymore. Is because like I'm not scared to just give something a run, and then if it doesn't work out, just change it, um, even if it costs me a little bit more money. Because I know same thing. Like this project doesn't have to make the most money; it just has yeah. to get us to the next pro next project because we're honing things in, and we're just here to play the game for as long as we can play it. Um, I would say it's the bold colors, though. Like I yeah, paint a lot of houses black, colors, like black, blue. We're talking about deep blues. Okay. I paint a lot of houses black. Um, I do too. a lot of high contrast stuff. So there's a lot of uh, brushed brass on black and mm -hmm. um, things like that. Like um, wallpaper everywhere. I love wallpaper, mm -hmm. um, which I'm glad it's coming back. Um, I think we were kind of in early on that trend. And then um, I try to, you know, I worked for Subway for a long time before I got into the bars. And Subway always said, like the sandwich shop. I was making sandwiches a decade ago. Um, they, um, they always say that the customer experience starts in the parking lot. Um, and I think that that's something that I want to do a lot better job of. We've been trying to do a better job of it. Affordable family housing is kind of a tricky thing, like where you spend money and where you don't. And we do a lot of affordable family housing. But with the customer experience starting in the driveway, um, I think that we're, we're landscaping is mega important, not just basic landscaping, you know, having some greenery on the porch, things like that, um, to kind of like play into that idea that the experience starts in the driveway. So that's something that I hope over the next year is something that when people think about one of my houses, they think about that as well, that, Hey, we pulled up and we were in love with it. And then we opened the front door and, and like, that just sealed the deal. Um, if I can, from the front door, I try to give people a glimpse into the kitchen. I think that that, that first, like, um, eye line is really important. Um, but you can't always do that. And I'm not a huge open concept guy. Um, so a lot of times we widen doors instead of taking out walls. Mm -hmm. um, just because I believe that um, my personal belief is that um, the partition is a good thing. Um, but that's not I, just, I like that's more just houses too. I know the open concepts like super popular where you are probably a little less in Denver. It's crazy popular. I have this thing where like, I can't stand it if I'm sitting on my couch and I could reach behind me and put my glass on the kitchen counter. Like, yeah. That's not do for me. I don't I'm know. the same way. Like, Hey, if I, my dishes are dirty, don't let me think about them. You yeah, know right, what I mean? I like, that's what I'm saying. Out of sight, out of mind. Yes. Yes. Wow. So um, that's a big journey in how long you, you've been licensed five years? Uh, licensed six years, six and a half it's, years. Yeah. So. What is like one like building design thing that seems to be like that everybody is doing that you freaking hate that you wish uh, would go away? Sliding barn doors. Um, <laughs> Me it's too. One, of my, one of my pet peeves. I'm like, man, like, just put the door back on where it locks, you know, like, and it shuts and it seals. Like, um, it's Nobody just, wants to poop behind a barn door. That's the, right. 
That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm right, I'm right there with you. I, I'm just not a, like, and I think that, you know, pocket doors can be done and even some sliding doors can be done tastefully, but like, it's the, it's the standard Home Depot barn door, sliding uh -huh. barn door that just eats me alive. Yeah. Have you still done them though? Cause this is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I flip, I mean, I used to do like 12 or so a year. They've been hard. To, it's been harder to find the deals and I haven't been focused on it. So I've done two or three here and there the last couple yeah. of years, but I've done again with partners. Um, partners are hard by the way, for whoever's listening, you might need them in the beginning, but they can be hard. Um, but like they will want those things and I, or crazy colors or weird yep. things. And I'm like, you have to understand you're designing this for the world, not for yourself. Like it shouldn't look like your kitchen at home. Yeah. So finding that balance was tricky for me, especially at first, because I would really, really go for it at first. And uh, now I take strategic kind of strategic, um, I make strategic choices about where to really try things and where not to a lot more so than, than in the beginning, but I'm still probably on, on the side of like, um, making too many bold choices, but we have done some barn doors before. Like it's been a couple of years since I put a barn door in anything. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a business too. And, uh, yeah. if it doesn't, if the business doesn't make money, it's a hobby. Um, and I just don't want to spend my whole life on a hobby. Yeah. How do you deal with, um, Again, I think even if people aren't flippers, right, or they're not in the investment side, they can still relate your bravery and your mindset to other things in their business. How do you deal with it when like a big whammy comes up, right? Like, I don't know, I'm just making it up. Like one time we got caught with a $100,000 structural issue that we didn't know was there, right? So like, how do you deal mentally when it's like, oh shit, we weren't expecting that. What do we do now? Yeah, so I, I look at that as, um, since this is what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life, I just look at that as another opportunity to put to to put something on our list where it never happens again. And um, financially, you know, especially when we were first getting going, the the hard part was about how do we fix this, you know, how do we fix this problem? You know what I mean? Like we don't have the money to fix this problem. How do we fix that problem? Uh, so we were always able to creatively kind of figure those things out. But now, when things come up and when they when they catch us off guard, it's just something that we have to look for in the future. Um, and there's a lot of things like that, that, that popped up. Like one big thing is like waterproofing, like whether you think you need it or not, just do it. Cause pay the six grand now or pay the 16 or 20 or 30 or 40 grand later. And then also having just the, the mind share that it takes knowing that you're having to go back to a house that somebody's living in, you're having to do these things, um, just to make sure that their experience, their experience is already bad just to make sure that their experience isn't the worst of all time. Um, so you're trying to, that's, that's, that's a constant, constant balance. And, um, I think that, yeah, I think that because this is something I'm gonna do the rest of my life, we just think about it as an opportunity to hone in our systems, um, where we do, we just don't make that mistake again. So, um, like I said, like over the, this year is the first year that I feel like we're really queued up to just absolutely crush it. Um, like we, we've had a lot of private investors in the past and, over the next 60 days, we should close most of them out. And I have some private investors that I absolutely love working with that I'll continue to work with. But the dynamic uh, of everything has really shifted, um, especially. And that's one thing that the TV show has helped with as well, is that um, it's like it's instant credibility when I walk into somebody's house to buy their house. Um, it's like, yeah, I have a cable TV show. And it's like, oh, okay. They don't know these other 20 people that just walked in um so that's one way that i think that in the future we're, le we're we've started leveraging the show that way 
Um, but in the future, we'll do a much better job with it. Because honestly, you just don't know what you don't know. Um, kind of the same way we're talking about like things coming up in houses, like the TV show coming into our life, like it was a huge blessing, but also like the time commitment for a TV show, our business pride needed to be farther along before we were willing to give that kind of commitment. And uh, that was a learning experience. It was financially inconvenient, um, but it's it was also the thing that made me scale from doing two or three houses at a time to doing 10 houses at a time. Um, and now once we can settle that in, get it back between the bumpers and put the bumpers up, uh, I feel really good about uh, what's coming up in the future for Monroe Park. Do you keep your um, construction team in-house or do you subcontract it all out? Yeah, so it's a mix. Um, it's a mix of those two. So I have a couple crews that are pretty much in-house. Uh, they'll do lighter stuff, but stuff that we really need to get into permitting for and has structural mm -hmm. stuff going on. Uh, we're going to hire a builder. And then I'm also in the middle of getting my builder's license um, so yeah. that I can go pull permits and let major trades work under that builder's permit. Nice. Unbelievable. In five years to do a hundred houses. That's crazy. Well, we got the next five is going to be the coolest. That's that's, and I hope for the rest of my life, that's the thing that I keep saying is like, Hey, like, you know, like I try to, the curse of ambition is that you um, are always looking at the next thing, even before the previous goal is, is, is wrapped out. Right. And you're like, I remember setting a goal my first year in Birmingham to sell like 24 homes. Like if I sell 24 homes, I'll feel good. I sold 35 my first year. And then I was like, well, what if I sold like 50 the next year? And then I sold like 76. And then I was like, well, what if I sold 100 the next year? And we started the team, we sold like 140. And then we were, so it's just, it's, um, and then the, the previous will never feel good. You know, right. you never, you never take that moment to just take that deep breath and say, wow, like this is cool. Like I have a buddy of mine who has like 600 doors under management. We got into property management at the exact same time. He's got one of the biggest property management companies in Montgomery. And every time I call him, I'm like, he's like, I'm trying to make it. I'm like, bro, you are literally making it. We just ate a $200 dinner and, you're, and you drove us there in your $140,000 truck. Like, take a moment and breathe, bro. Like, we are doing it. Like, this is cool. Like, the way we grew up, like, this, this stuff doesn't happen to people who grew up like we grew up, you know? And like... Um, so I want to ask a question about that. Angela and I have this theory that um, wildly ambitious or driven people come from something hard mm -hmm. at some point in their background, right? And that we aren't sure that if you haven't been through some really heavy shit that you're going to ever be yeah. wildly ambitious or driven. And, and we can't quite figure out why we think that is, but it sounds like that's true in your story too. Yeah, that's, and I think that's, I, I totally agree with y'all. And that's because people got to have a little bit of dog in them um, sure. or else like, and if that didn't come during your, um, during your childhood when you were really forming who you are, I don't know if that, this is just a theory too. Like, don't take this to the bank. Um, if that didn't come in the, in the formational years of your life, it's kind of hard to get later. And there are people who get it later. Um, there's a lot of great stories about people, especially like single moms who, 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 who like have never worked and then get into real estate. And like two years later, they're selling 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 homes. Um, so it's not impossible to get it later, but uh, when you grow up and you're constantly hungry, I think that that's a thing like hungry for more is a better way to say it. I think that that's, um, there's something to be said about that. And when you can back that up with a clear, uh, game plan with actionable items, um, and then surround yourself with like-minded people, um, you can, you can do some really cool stuff. So, um, I hear a lot of people talking about how they like to recruit agents 
who have a scarcity mindset as in like they're always working, you know, cause they're scared somebody's going to take it away one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that can help you out a lot in the beginning of your career. Um, but at some point you have to move from scarcity to abundance to scale your business because your business will only grow to the extent that you grow. And so making that trans when you recruit people like that, helping them make that transition from scarcity to abundance is really important um, because also that scarcity mindset will train wreck people's personal lives um, because they'll, they'll put, they'll put, they'll, and they'll convince themselves they're doing all these things for their family, but they'll push their family to the side so they can work more because they're scared that they won't make enough money. And then they're missing the things that are really important. And that's something that I probably am settling into right now too with, uh, with Susan is that like, Hey, like this three day weekend that we're taking, like there's, it's just business. Like I can call back on Tuesday. One of my former mentors used to tell me it's business, not brain surgery. If the banks are closed, we can't really do anything. And I, that's just pretty good advice, you know, like, like, and then you just got to take it lightly and not get in business with people that don't um, have the same kind of mindset as you do. Yeah. What is your favorite question to ask somebody that um, you are potentially interviewing to work with you? Tell me the one thing that you're the best at. And if they don't have an answer for that, I don't care what it is. I don't care if they don't have an answer for that, then I don't, they don't, I don't know if they have that, um, that go getter attitude. Right. So they could tell me that they make the best margarita in the state. I'm like, okay, cool. You got something that you're proud of, that you've worked at, that you've accomplished and that you're willing to tell me a stranger, uh, that you're the best at. I need people who have that kind of attitude. Um, so that's, that's one of my, um, one of my real go-tos. And then I stole this, I stole another one from um, a friend of mine. His name's Tommy Choi. He runs a big brokerage in Chicago. Um, and when he hires people, he, he tells them, he gives them a marker, right? Puts them on the whiteboard and says, draw your life story. And you do ticks along the way, right? And we start to notice, for me, I start to notice patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, like I did that. He wasn't even hiring me. I just came home and did it. I was like, wow, like every three years, I get really bored yeah. with whatever I'm doing. I was exactly like, and it's like, so that's a, that's a really cool um, question slash tool that you're going to learn a lot about people because life is cyclical in nature and um, you need to like really look at those cycles with people and be like, Hey, is this a six month person? Is this a three year person? Is this a five year person? And uh, that'll help you out a lot in the, um, in the hiring process, or at least it should, you know, and um, it's been really good for me. Um, hiring is something that I, I need to get better at. And so it's been a real big focus, um, for I think that's an issue for everyone in our industry that's trying to start because we're all a different side of the brain. We're looking for different things. We want, we want us, but in smaller form, right? That's not who you want to hire. Yeah, no, it's not. Definitely not. Cause I was a terrible employee. That's why I had to work for myself. I was a bad employee. Um, really bad. What is the, what's the one thing in the world that you're the best at? Uh, finding off-market opportunities, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably that's probably when I when that's the first thing that comes to mind when people say, "Hey, what's the thing you're best at?" It's finding off-market opportunities, and then if I, I would just say my ability to brush it off, you know, mm-hmm. and and yeah. and between those two things, I think those are the two things that I, I do at a very very high level. If you mm-hmm. had to go out and find a buyer tomorrow, how would you do it? Or a seller? Okay, so um, if I had to find yeah, sellers is the easiest thing for me to do. If I had to find a buyer, that's a great yeah. question. Huh? So for me, I'd go to an REI meetup 
and I just take notes of what everybody wants and what everybody's doing, or I'd find a high net worth uh, place to hang out and I'd go talk investments and I'd say, what's, you know, the big question for uh, a buyer for me right now is, Hey, what's the deal that you would buy two of right now? Um, and if you get to people with a certain net worth, um, they, they'll have a very clear answer on that because people with a certain net worth generally have a good, um, idea of how money works, um, and are generally financially literate and which is something I'm still, still learning about. Like, I just think I just figured out banking and figured out is like a loose term. I just kind of like, I just like had this epiphany, like three weeks ago when we figured out how to refi these houses where I was like, wait a minute, what? Like, 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 I need that that too. I know. I'm like, we're going to be calling you like, it's it's not that hard. I mean, like it's, it's it's secrets that people keep to themselves. Um, but yeah, so, um, that's, that's how I would sell. Um, that's how I would do it. Or I'd do, you know, open houses were always really good for me when I was, um, when I was first getting started. Um, but that's also because I was willing to be consistent with them. You know, they say like 3% of houses, are sold from from open houses. And I was thinking to myself, like when I got in the business, I just remembered my mindset on that versus other people's was so wildly different. I was like, okay, so there's a little over 50 weeks in a year. So if I'm better at this than everybody else and I do a better job, then I could probably do, you know, let's say that I do three in 50 weeks, right? Uh, I was like, I'll do that. That's three houses. You know, like, it, like, and I was really excited about those numbers while most people didn't think it was worth their time. So, um, what a different I, mindset. Like I was, I was pumped about open houses when I first got in the business. I was doing them all the time. I had no clue what I was doing. Um, and if I would have had um, some more guidance, I probably would have sold more than, I think I sold four or five off of open houses my first year. So That's awesome. Yeah. Crazy mindset. I hope that that's what people take away from this is just um, yeah. like how positive and committed you are regardless of what life is throwing at you because everybody is in a – valley season right now mm-hmm. um and and i like i'll be honest it's even caught me up the last couple of weeks to the point where i've had to be like i've got to like i've worked through angela and i both were in business during the recession like this isn't new i don't know yeah. why everybody's freaking me the fuck out but it's like you know, <laughs> i've had to calm down and detox on what i'm watching right and like you know really listen to more people like you and people who are positive um because I think that, like, the mindset right now is what's going to put 50% of these agents out of business. I agree. I think that most people have a weak spirit. Um, and if you have a, a strong spirit and you don't allow, like, like I used to do MMA with, with some guys. And, and people, I think people come into your life and out of your life for certain reasons. And um, one of my teachers used to, one of the tenets um, of of, of, of his class, like at the end, he would say indomitable spirit. And that's something like that one little sentence has got me through some of the hardest times in my life. Cause if people can't take your soul and if life can't take your soul and that's not, if that's not even an option on the table, like, Hey, you will not take my good energy. You will not take my soul. You will not, you will not, these circumstances will not dominate who I am because life doesn't happen to me. I happen to life. Then, then everything's just details. You know, at that point, because you know where you're going, you know what you're doing, you have confidence in the actionable items to get you there. And uh, as long as you push down those, the, that path, everything's just kind of bullshit. Everything else is just like, it just, it just bounces off of you. And that's going to make you lose a lot of friends mm-hmm. and because people aren't going to get it because you're not going to be sorry with them and you're not going to be down with them and you're not going to, you're not going to allow 
um, your the circum their circumstances to, to affect you. you. You can try to pull them up, but they're not going to pull you down. Um, and it can get really lonely at times, but at least you have that thing that nobody can take from you. Because at the end of the day, that's literally the only thing we have in this whole life that can't be taken is is, is our spirit and our and our soul and our and our will to endure whatever the rest of life throws at us. So that's that's kind of my my elevator pitch on on a mentality that'll get you through anything. And if you read um, you read some of these stories about um, shipwrecks or, or POWs or things like that, and you read you're obviously reading from the point of view of people who survived. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know when it's when it's a shipwreck, it's the people that kept trying to swim. Mm-hmm. When it's when it's other things, it's just the people who knew that they that they were going to get through it. So uh, you just got to know that. Yeah. Your circle is the most important thing in your life and who you surround yourself with mm-hmm. is what's going to get in and what's going to seep into your brain. So if you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people, they might've been good for a season of your life. It's okay for them not to be in the next season. Like it's mm-hmm. totally okay. Oh yeah. And, and, and growth, growth will, will move people out of your circle. And that's okay. It's just part of life. You know what I mean? Like, and, and you can still be grateful for them and you can still love them. Um, but some people you got to love from a distance sometimes, you know? Absolutely. How are you, do you have a circle or are you like me? I have like a straight line right now. I'm working on like a triangle. Yeah. Yeah. My, my circle's very small, uh, yeah. very, very small right now. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of like it that way. Um, yeah. But also, there's a there's a lot of people in my second circle. I would say that. Yeah. So my first circle is very very small. I think that once you get married, you know, you're looking at direct family and maybe a couple other people, and that's pretty much it in your first circle. And then your second circle can have those people that you're trying to drag along with you, and either they come with you or they don't. So they'll either fall out or they'll or they'll help push that first circle too. So my goal is to get as many people in that second circle that can continue to help elevate everybody in that second circle and in the first circle. Um, so we all got to be making each other better. If we're not pushing each other, if we're not having honest conversations with each other, then I just don't want it to be, um, I don't want it to be a thing. So um, yeah, that's kind of, that's where I am. That's the part of my life that I'm in. It's a growth stage. Um, maybe as things settle down, if they settle down one day. I think uh, we're all consistently in a growth stage. And I think that people also don't realize that about life. Um, You kind of said the same thing. Like you keep saying, this is the first year in five or six years where I actually feel like, okay, about going into next year. I've said this to so many people. We've said this so many times on the show, Angela and I, it never gets easier right? Like people, people in this business will go, well, when I'm just doing 50 deals a year, or when I'm just doing, you know, when I just have a team of 10 people, or when I just have, you know, own my own brokerage, or when I own the office building or whatever. And it's like, it actually gets harder, because then you wake up at the beginning of every year, and you're like, Oh, shit, how am I going to do 100 deals in this year? What? Uh-huh. Like, what if I just got lucky? Oops, right? Uh, how am I going to do that? And that adds a lot of anxiety. Or if you're running a team, then you're dealing with, running, you know, the, the, in you're responsible for other people's lives and how they're going to feed their family and eat. So I think to play big in this business or in any entrepreneurial role in life, you just have to be okay with the fact that you're never going to feel okay. You're never going to yeah. feel that you're never going to feel all right. And you're always going to feel some level of like, Oh shit, this could all fall down tomorrow. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's something that, um, 
you take the weight on as a business owner um, doing those things. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. Um, like I know in my business, like the way I look at it is um, everybody who works for me gave up a piece of their dreams to help me chase mine. And they traded that for the security of knowing that on the first and the 14th or 15th or whatever it is that they would have a check that hit their account and they could take their kids to the doctor and they could do those things. And that is a heavy, heavy weight that I live with every single day, knowing that I am responsible for the trajectory of other people's lives. Um, and people say like people are accountable for themselves and all these things, but that's what employment is. It's a promise um, that they'll be able to do these things and they'll be able to have their time back and they'll be able to trade those things so that I can do the thing that I want, which is build a big business. You are so wise. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to tell my wife. I'm going to tell my wife you said that too. They call the Oracle of Omaha. You're now the Oracle of Birmingham to me. Well, like, that's, a, so that's a huge compliment. Now, hopefully, I can go out so there and build a business that people think the same way about. So, How did like you I, learn these things? Are you college educated? Do you have an MBA? Like, what's your background? So, yeah, I got kicked out of college. Um, they stamped my transcripts and told me not to come back, um, which. Um, was a really interesting experience. Um, and then they, and then they asked me to speak, um, mm -hmm. last year. I was like, funny how this works, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, I probably didn't deserve to get kicked out in all fairness, but no, um, I have been, I am a constant learner and I've had a life, um, that has moved very quickly and very roughly. And I've tried to take lessons from all those things along the way. And I, that's why I feel like this is the first year where, um, I really get to put those things into place. Um, so the, 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 the systems, the banking ability, the um, understanding of how people work and money moves and um, how all these things go together into one, um, they, all, they all kind of live in one um, ecosystem together. I feel like this is the first year that I really get that and that I'm ready to, and now I'm ready to really take off. So the next five years for me, hopefully, um, I have some five-year goals that are pretty, pretty out there, but I, I'm really excited about um, pushing those things forward and seeing if, if I have learned as much as I think I have. And if I have, that's going to be great. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And if I haven't, like, you know what, like, we'll, we'll do whatever we got to do. And as long as I can pay, you know, as long as I can like keep my family like financially secure, then we'll just shake this thing up and do it again one day. Don't you um, think there's a little bit of a, a little bit of like unfuckwithableness. Is that a word? I just made it a word. <laughs> I like but, it. Put it um, on a t-shirt. I'd buy it. <laughs> I'm, I'm unfuckwithable. Yeah. That, well, that actually goes, okay, we're not going to talk about the other ways in my life, but that's been true the last couple of years. But hey, so um, there's a little bit of that that happens, right? When you've been through hard times, right? Because, yeah. you know, like it, you would you would go back to walking seven miles to show a house you would just do it like it wouldn't be fun you'd probably bitch a little bit about losing the stuff that you have it would suck for a little bit but you would go back to that right like and i mean I, if you've been through tough stuff you're just like okay i'll go back to doing it again right you yeah. know it's the tricky the tricky part about that is when you have a um when you get married you have to say hey i would never i can't look at this person who i promised to take care of and, and ask them to do those things. And so then you have to hedge your bets in a little bit different way. And that's, um, that is the part that I am learning. Um, and I am, I am um, 
committed to and made promises about and that I'm, I'm really, that's the thing that weighs heaviest on me, honestly, um, is, is keeping that commitment because I will heavily inconvenience myself um, to keep commitments to people. Um, but in the past, it's always been because I was willing to do those things. I was willing to um, do without to keep those commitments. But now me doing without means we are doing without and I cannot allow that to happen as a man. So that is a, um, that is a tricky part that I am, Let's get back next year and figure. I'll tell you how I figured that out because um, I'm still figuring it out, uh, which is also why, I've, I mean, I've restructured my business a little bit. Like we talked about private investors. I've been on a, a path to get the company debt-free um, over the last eight months, and uh, that's because I don't want to have that, that looming that looming debt that could, you know, if it got called or something like that, could create that kind of chaos in my life because now I have other people that I have to – you know, take care of. So. So super fast. If you could come up with like three things, a couple things to tell agents who um, haven't ever been through a hard time in this business before and are struggling with how they're going to stay afloat, how they're going to keep their mindset. Okay. How they're going to stay in business. Um, what would you tell them? Like, what do they do today? Yeah. First thing is look in the mirror and decide whether this is something you really want or not. And then you, need to make a list of things of, of what, how bad do you want it? And what am I willing to do to, to make this happen? And if you're not willing to pick up the phone and you're not willing to prospect, that should be one of the first things that you ask yourself. And if, cause that's the, that's the layup, you know what I mean? Like that's the easiest one. If you're not willing to do that, just go ahead, find a career, get a nine to five, go work for somebody else, uh, go do that. So that's the first thing I would say is like, Hey, look in the mirror. The second thing for me is going to be, Hey, come to the office and make sure that you are around uh, successful agents because you need to know what successful agents look like and what they sound like and what their daily structure looks like. Um, and then the third thing I would say is um, growing yourself is something that that will pay in no matter what you do. So for me, um, I looked up one day and my business has, has, was just stuck, you know, like, and I was like, well, why isn't my business growing? This was about four years ago, three and a half years ago. And uh, the answer was because I was stuck as a human. Um, and so I had to go back to the drawing board and re kind of reinvent myself and say, hey, like you have these things that are good. And then you have all this other stuff that is garbage. You got to get rid of this other stuff and you got to focus on you. And when you put the building blocks together for you as a human, then you have things to build off of with your career. And so those are the three things that I would tell people. Like if you want to build a successful uh, real estate career, uh, those are the three things you got to do is know what you're willing to go through to have one. Be a, be around people who already have one and then focus on growing yourself so that you can you can do those other two things at a high level. Um, but those are the three things that I think would would be the um, those are the three things that like if I had to, to say all successful agents have. Um, all successful agents have at least two or th two out of three of those things. And the ones that I know that are the happiest and have the highest level production, um, have all three of those things. So wise. Love that. You've said so many things today that have, like I've taken the notepad full of notes. Um, you've said so many things that, uh, actually really touched and inspired me. So I know everybody. Well, thank you. I'm super grateful for the opportunity to be on here too. Y'all have been absolutely awesome. We're so excited to have you maybe we'll get to have you back another time soon yes yes we'll come in when we I'll shoot the new show up. and we'll do it then yes yeah that sounds great hang with us a couple minutes and we'll see everybody else uh next tuesday 10 a.m mountain standard time bye 
Angela, and Lindsay would love to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Connect with the Homegirls on social media at The Real Homegirls Podcast.